Just having business data isn't enough. But ZoomInfo leverages that data to unlock useful insights, like who to reach and how to reach them, so you can grow your business. Unlock insights at ZoomInfo.com. ZoomInfo, how business goes to market. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Out of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. Once again, I'm your host, Dio Royster. Chill ride, chill vibes. Uh, just to start things off, I want to say a uh, shout out to everybody over at Broad Street Hockey and all the Flyer fans out there everywhere. Last night, the Flyers clinched the number one seed in their bubble playoff seeding. So shout out to everybody for that. Sixers are three and one in seeding games, and it's going to be a lot different now because we've just lost Ben Simmons for the remainder of this thing. He has opted to do surgery. So speedy quick return for Ben Simmons. Not too speedy, not too quick because yeah, we want to preserve your health. On today's podcast, I am here with Daniel Ollinger of Liberty Ballers. He did a column last week that I was really, really excited to go more of a deep dive in because it's something that a lot of us have been thinking about for a while. It's the Sixers spacing problems. He highlighted the Mavericks game from the scrimmage games. But this has been an ongoing problem for a long time. So I'm excited to get on and talk to Daniel about this. Daniel's on the line right now. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Every, everything going well? Everything good? Feeling good about the uh, – but the remainder of these seeding games here, the three and one, uh, I mean, only, only the Suns are undefeated. So I guess that's something. Uh, I mean, three and one, but I mean, it's the overworked Sixers Twitter joke of the week, but it's three and one, but it feels like, oh, and 12. It really like, does. It, it does. It does not like there's, this is the least happy three and one week of all time. This is the most unconvincing three and one that I felt in a long time. Not not since like, I don't know, like a like a Buddy Ryan or Eagles team or a Rich Kotite <laughs> Eagles team. Like I just don't feel a hundred percent good about it. <laughs> uh I wish I could relate to Buddy Ryan's a bit before my time, but sorry sorry about that. I'm literally no, I, aging I know, myself know, on this podcast already. God damn I know it. who he is. I know who he is. <laughs> so there's a way that you kind of phrased your column that I really kind of appreciate because you kind of do it like twofold. So Mm -hmm. I want to start off with this with the spacing. um, Is it the players on the roster? Let's, let's just start there. Like, for example, are there enough shooters on the floor at all times? I mean, so, I mean, it's usually if most things, it's a little bit of both. And you can definitely argue that like the spacing can be tricky just because like, Embiid, I mean, Simmons, who obviously isn't, it seems like he's not coming back to the bubble, but Simmons is the one that always stands out as just, he'll muck up the spacing because teams are just going to disrespect him, stand near the paint. Like, I mean, the classic one was when LeBron was like standing in the restricted area the entire game because he didn't want him to shoot. Embiid, like most, especially smart teams are going to back off him because they just, you would much rather have Embiid shoot a three than post you up. Horford, has been shooting worse this year, so teams back up with him. Jay Rich has been really up and down shooting. Even, like, someone like Matisse, who has, like, an okay percentage, like, it's just a classic trend, especially as we get into, like, more meaningful basketball in the playoffs, that if you are not a good shooter, like, I'm thinking, like, 37 36% and up, like, where you can hurt teams, they will just flat out disrespect you from three. They are going to back off. They are going to live with you taking shots. They're also probably going to bank on the fact that you will – stop shooting eventually if you miss too many so I mean that's definitely part of it that this whole roster construction with like the Sixers are just built with a lot of guys who you were thinking like eh not great shooters although there is some like I mean Shake is a very good floor spacing shooter Furk that's basically Furkan Korkmaz's whole role Alec Burks now on the team he's been shooting well once Glenn Robinson gets back there he can be a little bit streaky but once in a while like for his career a decent shooter so I, I mean I think so, yeah, that's definitely part of it. But, like, I don't think I would have written a column if it was just like, hey, you rem- hey guys, remember that we have bad shooters and that's why we suck at spacing the floor. <laughs> it, was more, it was more like looking at the game, it was, I was watching, I'm like, the Sixers keep doing something wrong here where it's like a systemic problem that they do certain things that you just shouldn't do if you want to create good spacing. 
you talk about percentages and Tobias Harris has looked really good in both the scrimmage games and the seeding game so far. So is he better? Would he be better for spacing purposes if he just spotted up or do you still want him to like do his post up thing? If he's got the matchup, if he's got the good matchup, then I guess why not? But like, is it well, more preferential for him to just be like kind of spotting up on the wings? Like, I really hate to say it that way because you know, we're paying him like $180 million or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, the contract is, the contract is never going to, we, I mean, this is basically discussed at length all across our site. There's been so many podcasts and articles at Liberty Ballers dissecting, you know, Tobias Harris and the basic conclusion we've come to is, yeah, he's paid too much, but we like him anyways. And, and what you're saying with post-ups and spot-ups, like just by the numbers on spot-ups this year, Tobias Harris is averaging 1.124 points per possession at 78th percentile post-ups he's 0.95945 points per possession 59th percentile so just right right away it looks like even though he's pretty good at both he's a much better just spot-up shooter but also like spot-up shooting doesn't just mean you're like one of the four rockets who's not named James Harden and you're standing in the corner <laughs> like, like he like I was I have, I'm gonna write about this soon it's I have like a column I think I'll come out in the next week and part of it is because we'll be going through like a bunch of different players. The Sixers love to run that little flare screen for Tobias Harris where either Joe or Horford will like set a screen from the top and he can kind of get that. And he'll either usually shoot the three off of that or like the good thing about Tobias is he's might be the best like off movement shooter on the team. Like Furcon, like Furcon's pure, like pretty much spot up, like stand in the corner, maybe move a little bit, stand in the corner and get ready for something. Shake a little bit too. I think, I think Shake can shoot off the dribble better, but I don't see Shake as a guy who runs off pin downs for threes. Like, there's no like Marco Bellinelli kind of guy, if you know what I'm saying. Like, someone who's just constantly darting around screens trying to get that shot. But Tobias Harris can kind of move around a little bit and come off screens. And I, I mean, I'm fine with him shooting as much as you want. It's actually me and Sean on our podcast this last week discussed how Tobias needs to like shoot more threes, almost like he's sometimes too hesitant to take them unless he's wide open. So I probably would prefer for him to just try and take – I mean, he's a good shooter. If he has an open look, I am always fine with him taking it. And in terms of post-ups, it's just got to be, like, the right situation. And he can't do it too much. I mean, but so I guess just to get to your point, I would lean towards him being more of a spot-up player. But, you know, spot-up does, doesn't just mean standing still. Like, Tobias can still do some stuff and still be active within the offense. I like how you bring up um, running off of pin-down screens and all – the other because it reminds me of you know guys like Reggie Miller back in the back in the 90s and I I feel like JJ was definitely that guy last year and I'm sorry the years he's been here Mm -hmm. is that something that we're sorely missing the offense is definitely sorely missing it because I mean you just look for like our offense just the offense just got worse this year it's like there's not really a other way around it it just I mean, feels like there's no movement at all yes like I, it's like they're all interconnected in this way so i've trying to like I've, these last two weeks it's almost like i'm trying to develop a thesis for why i think the sixers are struggling on offense despite all their talent and that's like one part of it is you see there's lack of movement and also i feel like the sixers are some of the slowest decision makers i've ever seen like the ball gets swung and then there's never like I can't remember which team specifically. I think it was the 2014 Spurs who were like, they had the half second rule, which was basically once you catch the ball, you have a half second, either dribble, pass, or shoot. So like, don't just hold the ball. The Sixers, like every guy like takes that turn, like three seconds each possession, holding the ball, trying to decide something. And just that lack of like, there doesn't seem any ur- to be any urgency in the Sixers offense. Like, it's all just wait, pass around here, pass around here. You know what I'm saying? Which is ironic given the fact that for the last two seasons, three seasons, they were top 10 in pace. Yeah, they, they were. Like, I'm not, not even sure if it shows up in pace a lot because, I mean, I think the Sixers do get out in transition a lot because they are still really good defensively. They bother teams with their length. And when you have a guy like Ben Simmons who can get out in transition, I mean, he's just a terror there. So that brings up their pace a lot. But it's – It's like, I'm not, I understand probably are very heavily correlated, but it's like, just watch a team like the Raptors where it's like, 
the ball is boom, boom, boom here. And then it's like, everyone makes a decision. You know where they're going. Like no one's messing around. There doesn't seem to be any uncertainty. Like you don't see a Josh Richardson, three dribble stumbling left-handed hook shot from 17 feet away. And like the Raptors offense. No, you definitely do not see like Pascal Siakam or Kyle Lowry doing that nonsense. They seem to be very like, like they, they are not like uncertain about what they're doing. Whereas the Sixers, it's like kind of, after the first few things like bog down in their offense, it's just like everyone's going to hold the ball, wait around and something will happen. With the players on the floor, is it possible they're just like not familiar with pick and roll tactics one-on-one? Like Horford is always down there clogging the paint. In your, cl- in your column, you highlighted several examples in hmm. pictures where just guards are also clogging the paint. Like what is, yeah. the, what is that? So, yeah, this was the main thing in my article. And, I mean, since it was several different players, I, that ten, makes me tend to think it's more of a coaching system problem just because if I don't think every single guy would make the same mistake. But for anyone who didn't read, it was basically, especially during the Mavericks scrimmage, the Sixers would run a pick and roll. And as the roll man went to the hoop, literally as he was rolling – a third guy would come down to the opposite block right where in the roller's path and get right there at the paint, which completely clogs everything up. And some people could argue that's the dunker spot. And, oh, they're just trying to do that in case you want to throw a lob there. Like, and maybe like if it's someone like Ben Simmons, that's kind of Ben's thing. So we can't put him on the perimeter. Well, that, that inherently doesn't work because the dunker spot is really reserved for when you have two guys in the paint, which is one coming down the lane, three other guys in perimeter. And then you have a guy at the dunker spot, like, think of like a team like the Rockets with James Harden. Harden beats someone off the dribble and back when they had Capella if the big man then helps up Harden just lobbed it to him or with the Warriors two guys trap Steph Curry beyond the three-point line throws it to Draymond he throws a lob to Looney stuff like that but the Sixers it's like it just ends up like three guys all sprinting straight to the basket and is completely clogged up and I don't know if it's necessarily a I mean, the one thing you could say is maybe they're just trying to exchange and they're getting the timing wrong, which would be some of the players. But even if that was the case, then it's on the coach like to call a timeout or at some point bring it up to these guys. Hey, you should stop all running to the paint at the same time. You just mess everything up when you do that. So it's definitely there's something that's not right about the Sixers do it. Like you do a pick and the part of the beauty of a pick and roll is that it's so simple and these guys are so talented as NBA players. You can just have three guys stand around the perimeter, have two guys run at the middle of the floor, and you'll generate good offense out of it. That's kind of the beauty of it, whereas the Sixers try and do something with it, and they just make it worse. And I feel like the pick and roll would work a heck of a lot better if there were more consistent outside shooting. Yeah, that would that would definitely help just because, like, I mean, it's the basic theory that, like, you have – better outside shooters teams don't want to help off of them as much so that's it but I also think like I mean I think you can get away with that sometimes I'm just not like you're not going to just magically as a coach change the guy's shooting percentage but what you can do is put them in the right places and I just from everything I've seen the Sixers are at least not in the right places when they're running these pick and rolls now this is something that I wanted to maybe ask you about get your opinion on because it's a, a way that I've been feeling for for at least the last season or two if not more um does this team have an identity crisis I feel like I don't I feel like they don't know what kind of team they want to be like do they want to be a pick and roll team with all the size do they want to be a bully ball team do they want to be a shooting team even though they don't really have a whole lot of good shooters I've watched these games and a lot of times I think to myself good god what is this team trying to do so I've, if you're talking about like, I think what I, I think they, I know what they want to be their identity, which is the bully ball team. Cause if you look at it, they're second to last in frequency of pick and rolls run per game, which only behind the only in front of the Rockets who basically is just Harden ISO Westbrook ISO three shooters. So that's their offense basically. But, and they lead the league in posting up the Sixers do by like a huge amount, 11.6% of their possessions. The second second in that is the Lakers at 7.8%. And give the Sixers credit. They are fairly good at posting up relative to the league at one point, at exactly one point per possession. That's second in the league. But 
I don't know if that's like a good thing that they've kind of said, we're going to be bully ball post-up team. Cause if you look at it, even as the second best, like efficient, second most efficient post-up team in the league, they, so they like, they're 26 in frequency of pick and roll big men scoring. Oh but even for, but, so that's like, that's the 26. Yeah. But it's like, um, I, it's a weird stat. I was kind of phrasing it weird, but even, <laughs> at, even at 26th in frequency of that and 29th in efficiency in terms of their role men scoring on the pick and roll, that's still one, they still score 1.02 points per possession for that. So even at something they're 29th in the league at and pick and roll big men scoring, that is still more efficient than all their post-ups that they lead the league in. Whereas like a team like the Thunder who lead the league in efficiency on, on roll men scoring is 1.25 points per possession. So like basically what I'm saying there's the pick and roll is inherently like more efficient than the post up in modern basketball. Even if you are a team like the Sixers, it's huge. I feel like a lot of Oklahoma city's success with that is in largely thanks to Chris Paul though. I mean, yeah, definitely. But still like just the fact that the Sixers clearly are not a great pick and roll team, but even then, there are some arguments made that they do have better offense when they run it than when they post up. Talking about posting up and how they, how the Sixers lead the league in post ups, like that brings me to Al Horford and we can talk over and over again about how good or bad the signing was. I still am kind of on the fence. I haven't really made one decision or the other. I will say he had a good game against Orlando, (laughs) but for, again, for spacing purposes, should the Sixers be starting Matisse, for example, and then slip Tobias over to the quote-unquote four? So, I mean, just starting there with, like, what we think of Horford, like, I mean, I like most Sixers fans. Like, he's just very frustrating throughout the season for a number of reasons. Incredibly frustrating. I think he's played pretty well in the bubble restart game so far. I one of the things I like the most about him is he's like the only guy in the team who can make a post-entry pass. Just that some of his basic passing is stuff they really need. Because I, I, the Sixers are one of the worst passing teams in the league. They are, and just in terms of quality of passes, they miss stuff. I mean, I'm, I've been hard on him this last week, but Josh Richardson in that one Pacers game threw like three lob post-entries that got picked off right away. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I would put Matisse in the starting lineup, even though, like, so he's had 19 possessions with the season, 19 non-garbage time possessions with Shake Milton, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid on the court. They're plus 19.5 in those, but, you know, that's 19 possessions. What are you going to do? Interestingly, Matisse has only played, like, about, like, a fourth of his, like, total possessions with Embiid on the court, although they've got a pretty good net rating in those. As good as Matisse is on defense and as much fun as he can be, he still is not, like, super locked-end defender. Like, he's not going to make first or second team all defense this year, and I think he shouldn't. He's still, like, a small level below there, and that he can get kind of abused by guys with strength pretty easily. I think I would probably either stick with Al in the starting lineup just for now because, I mean, generally the Sixers' biggest problem is when Ben, Al, and Joel all played together. Their offense just plummeted when it was two of the three, it was a little bit better. And if not him, I would probably go with someone like, probably go with someone like Furcon in the starting line, just for shooting reasons, trying to space the floor a little bit more. And I like that. And I mean, I thought about Alec Burks because he's been playing well, but I actually kind of would like, because I feel like we've come to the conclusion now that Alec Burks and Shake Milton are the point guards. And based on who's doing better, we'll kind of, they're the two guys who can actually create a three or a pretty good jump shot for themselves off the dribble. And just whichever one of them is kind of creating, you kind of switch, switch on, like, get, like give it to the hot hand, basically. Like, they're, they're basically, like, one player for 48 minutes in the same role, and you just – whoever's got it going in the game, you either choose Shake or Alec. But And then Alec had an amazing game against Orlando yeah, the was, other night, and that was, that was incredible. Like, they, they needed that because the rest of the offense was just kind of, like, very slow, very sluggish, like you were saying, mm-hmm. just kind of – just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, Bert, like this, we already talked about like the Sixers' lack of urgency, lack of decision, like quick decision-making, how their possessions bog down. Burks is one of the few guys when those possessions bog down, he can do something good. Like he does not end up with a 17-foot fading left-handed hook shot. He can give you a pretty good pull-up or he can kind of shake someone and get to the rim. Like 
he's just they need like so much creation it's it's why i did like back earlier this summer when like when i was writing about the draft like how how the sixers like certain creators they could target for themselves just because they really need smaller guards that can create off the dribble it's one of the reasons i am like i've had a lot of reasons to be upset about this but i was so upset that tj mcconnell they just basically let him go for for nothing this off season not only did i love him i really think they miss him just in terms of having that guy who can get into the paint whenever he needs to just this little guard darting around the court. I just think it helps to have good guards that basically can create stuff for you. I do think that the Sixers are definitely missing TJ's leadership with the second unit. And also, listen, people say what they want about TJ, but you know what? His mid-range is just it is all bad. kinds of wet. It is so bad. wet. It's ridiculous. <laughs> now we have Simmons out, and this is why I was thinking that Matisse should be starting because of his defense and how – Ben, I mean, Matisse isn't going to do everything that Ben does defensively. He's not going to guard one through five, for example. But I feel like his defense is definitely something that's going to be needed in the starting lineup. Do you agree or disagree? I don't know. I mean, I guess the argument for that is because this is another thing me and Sean talked about is that the Sixers, like their defense, they they allow a lot of shots in the paint and at the rim, like in terms of frequency. And even if you have a rim protector like Joel, it still hurts your – defense that the still the most efficient place on the court is the rim because layups are fundamentally easier to make and the fact that the Sixers like I feel like Richardson and Shake Milton just let guards go straight by them into the paint they can't really keep guys in front of them whereas someone like Matisse in certain situations even though he can get caught gambling a lot which is kind of his thing which maybe let some guys buy him just having a guy who can like you put on smaller guards like that that will always get into the paint that could really help them so I could see that just the shooting can be so shaky and like you can't unless Matisse just either puts in a put back dunk or shoots a three off a catch and shoot he really can't do anything on offense I mean he can make like a couple nice passes but that's about it I probably would still just lean away from Matisse like obviously keep him in rotation but I just think you like I mean, they played pretty well for Ford in the starting lineup last game. I would probably just stick with that for now. And I and just have – if that doesn't work, then take Horford out make him just the backup center off the bench and put Furk on in because you can just basically rely on his shooting to kind of space the floor a little. I'm okay with the whole it's working. So, like, it's not broken yet, so there's no need yeah. to fix it. So, I do agree with that. And I def- I'm definitely with you on – Korkmaz in the starting lineup as opposed to other alternatives not named Al Horford. Um, can't really say Mike Scott because his shooting has been way down. And like I said in my last podcast, I am not a hater of Mike Scott. I am not a hater of the Mike Scott Hive, but let's be real, fellas. Like, your man's has not been that great this year. Okay. I'm just being honest. And at the, at the next Hive event, y'all can come at me if you want to. But I'm bringing receipts, okay? I'm just letting y'all know that right off rip, okay? Let's move to the bench where we're seeing a much, much improved Furcon Korkmaz this year than last year. So I think that's definitely helping. And then the Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson trades have worked well, specifically for Burks. Not sure with Glenn Robinson because – he hasn't really played. He played one of the scrimmage games and it hasn't really been seen since. Like what, what has that done in terms of getting better spacing? Just the bench, just those bench guys in general. And then mm-hmm. um, with Matisse and even though his shooting can be kind of inconsistent, like I think he's just willing, just the fact that he's willing to take threes yeah, well, and yeah. force teams to, you know, play him honestly, you know? Starting with Furcon, who is definitely like, I mean, I'd completely written off Furcon last year. I didn't think we were getting anything out of him. And just the fact that he's basically become a really good shooter on pretty good volume is definitely very helpful. So, I mean, I, I, I basically, Furcon is what he is. Defensively, he knows he's bad on defense. It's really funny to me that whenever he gets beat by someone, he puts his hands straight up in the air and starts backpedaling, like almost like he's being attacked or like, he thinks he's about to get in trouble, so he puts his hands up saying, like, I'm not doing anything. He tries like, so hard, and I appreciate it's, it. It's hilarious that he's clearly, like, 
at that point just like a complete pedestrian like at least at least that for at least Furcon's kind of tall-ish so he can't get too easily attacked it's not like a Trey Young situation where you might as well just Trey might, might as well just stay on the other end of the court because he's not doing anything on defense but businesses have always needed customers so customer engagement has always been a thing you know steak dinners golf in-person handshakes not exactly efficient though but thanks to zoom info times have changed now you can engage with the right customers across all channels and grow your business efficiently and effectively all from one platform sorry steak dinner guy we've got work to do Unlock insights, engage customers, win faster at zoominfo.com. Zoominfo, how business goes to market. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With Burke, I mean, we've already talked about Burks. I think he's been really helpful, especially in the bubble games. Glenn Robinson's dealt with some injuries so far, so he hasn't played really. But I mean, definitely once he's healthy, I would like the eight minutes Mike Scott against got against Orlando. I'd much rather those be eight Glenn Robinson minutes because just like defensively, he moves much better than Mike Scott does. I mean, that's the thing with Mike Scott. He has to shoot really well. Even if his shooting's just been, I think, like, basically average league-wide, I think it's around 35%. I don't have the exact number right in front of me. But if your only thing is that you're basically a spot-up shooter, then you have to be a good spot-up shooter. And the fact you can't be an average spot-up shooter and then just use that to get minutes. So I would prefer someone like Glenn Robinson, who's probably a little more versatile. Yeah, if you're hovering above the three-point line, but you're only shooting, like, I think the number was, and I checked last week, it was, like, 34%. Um, yeah, you're not really helping too much. Now, with Simmons out, we talk a lot about Furcon so far and how maybe he should be in the starting lineup. With Simmons out, who needs to get those minutes? Not, like, who should get those I, I guess it's more who needs those minutes as opposed to who should get those minutes. Cause I feel those are two different answers. Uh, how are those two different answers? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Okay. Who need, who should get those minutes then? We'll just do it that way. Well, I mean, I already said that I, if they're doing a nine man rotation, like they have been so far, I'd much prefer at, once he's healthy, Glenn Robinson to Mike Scott for those like eight, 10 spot minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, basically they don't want to put Joel – until it's, like, really dire situation in the playoffs, they want to make sure they keep Embiid under 40. They're giving Richardson, like, 32 to 34 minutes a game, and Josh Richardson has just been so bad so far. So that's really hard. Not and, cashing in on, like – and I talked about this with Tyler last week. Mm-hmm. It's, like, Josh was kind of the do-everything person in Miami because they didn't really have anything else, but he's moved into this role with the Sixers where it's like, okay, we're asking you to do these one or two specific things and anything else is gravy. He went from do-everything to do-nothing because I don't know what he does well anymore. Like, really don't. I, like, he's not shooting well off the dribble. He is not that great of a passer. He, spot-up-wise, not been great um defensively that was and like I thought he was good on defense most of the year but the bubble games is just like he lets guys go by him pretty easily it's like I I think he needs to go away from the blonde hair I think it's the blonde hair that's (laughs) affecting his his productivity I really think that's what it is but now his hair is so short does he just have to shave it all off I'm not against that if hey if it'll help Josh go ahead go do the full Jordan route if it'll help I don't I don't care we're making Jay Rich choose between being bald or being a good basketball player. Uh, I feel like that should be a really easy answer because if you're a good <laughs> basketball player, then you'll get money, in which case you can always get that hair back. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, like um, and like I said earlier, like just some other rotational stuff. Horford, they put him about 30 minutes in that Orlando game, which sounds about right because, you. I mean, even though I don't hate – just hate having him and Joel on the court at the time with, without Simmons – you can't play Horford that much when Joel Embiid's your best player. You just don't want to keep them on the court together that much. And Shake Milton and Burks should probably – there should probably, with the current construction of the team, 
always be one of Milton or Burks on the court at all times, just so they have that off the dribble creator. So that's probably those minutes work. And then like just the other bench minutes, Korkmaz and Thibel, basically situational, riding the hot hand kind of stuff. Tobias Harris is definitely going to lead the team in minutes. He is like, I, I can guarantee because it's basically him and Embiid right now. It's their team and you don't want to play Embiid too much. I mean, he led the team in minutes last game. And from there, the deeper – if the Sixers can go deeper in the playoffs, the rotation probably gets shorter. You probably won't say, see either Robinson or uh, Mike Scott. You might not see Thibel just because if the shot goes cold like it did, it stretches the season like that one month he shot like 20%. I could definitely see Brett Brown saying, you know, Matisse, we love you, but teams just aren't guarding you. It's just not worth it to us. Yeah, that was rough. Okay. I'm probably going to need to grab my whiskey real quick as I veer into this next subject. This is the other (laughs) portion of your column that you got into. You (laughs) asked if it was the players. We've discussed at length about this. Now we get to the real hard part, and I'm literally pouring the whiskey as I say this because I've been a Brett Brown apologizer for longer than I care to admit. (laughs) Is it well, possible now that it is in fact the coach? Is he just not imagin is he just not imaginative enough with the pieces he has? I don't know what's going on. Well, I'm only nineteen, so I can't pour any whiskey, but I'll just grab some iced tea or something. It's fine. But, uh no, definitely our readers we do not we do not <laughs> we do not uh advocate for underage drinking on this podcast. Big, big no no. Don't do it. Big no no. Big no-no. Um, no, Brett, like, definitely our readers think that it's Brett is the problem because I just put it as a poll question at the bottom of the article, and I, I can't remember the specific number, but it was like 90% said, like, when I said whose fault is it for the bad spacing, 90% said Brett Brown instead of the players. Good Lord. So, I mean, there are some things you can't blame him for. Like, if Josh Richardson is basically – gone from pretty good shooter to just bad shooter. He can't do a lot about that. Same with Al Horford. He's tried everything he could to get Ben to shoot. I I do not blame Ben Simmons not shooting threes on Brett Brown at all. I think he did what he could, basically, which is can't do much more than basically tell the media, hey, he needs to shoot, and then he won't do it. So I don't blame him for that, and it's definitely not an ideal situation for any coach, but it's just like, what is Brett doing that makes the Sixers better? Like, and I like I look at our that offense again, like thinking, either we have like the like the most frustrating set of players in the world, or Brett just is not instilling a good system on there because there is no urgency in that offense. There is no like imag- imaginative sets that like get guys going in the right places. There's not like like we talked about earlier, great spacing all the time. So, they send guys into the wrong places, the wrong places on the court all the time. So, I mean, that does lead me to thinking it's probably a Brett Brown problem. Because you don't – you talked about this before. You don't really see that in Toronto's offense. You don't really see it in Milwaukee's offense. You definitely don't see it in the Boston offense because everybody's moving around and, and yeah, ob- creating opportunities for each other. And, yeah, obviously those teams have really good fits. Like, but it would be awesome to have as many great wings as Boston has. That's a great luxury or – a small point guard like Kyle Lowry, who basically can run your offense expertly. And another guy who can do it in Fred Van Vliet or just the basic formula, like Giannis four shooters and we're good. But it's just the urgency. I keep coming back to him. Just like I watch their offense. There's a lack of purpose to the offense. Like they're just kind of meandering around thinking, Oh, we're going to get something good out of this eventually. And they're totally agree. Their offense has ticked up a bit in the bubble just because Embiid has been on a tear, basically. Like, I think I had it earlier. He was like 23 of 30 within five feet of the basket. That's just insane. His po- his post-up numbers, I, d- I don't have him in front of me, but his post-up numbers have got to be just off the charts so far, except especially when he's in the paint. Like, I mean, I don't like his post-ups when he takes the fade away from like 17 feet, but other than that, so that's really helped their offense a lot, just Embiid basically deciding that he's going to try and take everyone. If they're not going to be, and then if they're not going to be a good offensive team, we've accepted that they're basically middling. They're 14th in offensive rating so far this year. Then you have to, if you want to actually win a title, like this team claims they do, you have to be probably the best defense in the league. Cause usually the teams that win the title have like at least a top 10 offense and defense. 
and the Sixers, while six in defensive rating is good, if your offense is going to be that mediocre, your defense has to be off the charts. And while it's good defense just because of, like, their personnel, like, I don't like the Sixers strategy of they lead the league in taking away, like, three-point shots. They're, the frequency of teams – sh- the frequency of their opponents shooting threes is lowest in the league. But for a team with all these big guys, they let up a lot of shots in the, at the rim and in the paint. Because I feel like – Like, they, two plus two does not equal four in what you just said. It's really – I'm sorry, I'm getting a little confusing here. But, uh, uh, like, the best defense in the league, the Bucks, their whole strategy is basically we'll give you threes. And the Raptors are similar. They're, sec- they're second defense in the league. Like, basically, they'll, they're just prioritizing coverage at the rim. Teams cannot get in the paint. They're not going to score there and just kind of baiting teams. And you have to be jump shooting teams all the time, which is another thing we could talk about. But I, I just think Brett Brown, like – there's not a strong enough system. I don't agree with the system he set in place on defense, probably from a philosophical standpoint. And then on offense, there just doesn't seem to be enough of a purpose. You were saying about Milwaukee's defense. I actually prefer that because unless you're playing a team like Golden State and everybody's healthy, Steph is healthy, Clay is healthy, like I'm okay if you're just going to sit back and just like, yeah. Or if you're playing the Rockets, just like, hey, Take all the threes you want. That's fine. We will let you have all of the threes. Take them all, but you are not coming in this paint. It's really hard to play defense in the modern NBA with how advanced offenses have become. And so it's like a pick your poison thing, either shots at the rim and shots or threes. And the Bucks and Raptors have basically decided, you know, we can't take away both. So what if we just take away one of them and completely take it away? And that basically kind of reduces their opponents like, choices overall because it's like well we kind of just have to do this so if you're not like shooting that well if you're not a team like you said like the warriors but i'm trying like or a team like the rockets with all those three-point shooters out there like what are the sixers supposed to do if they can't get to the rim against the bucks like are we just gonna have josh richardson take 10 threes like it's a problem that is now my worst nightmare Right there, I just got chills. Like, right then and there. So, thank you for that. Thank you for that nightmare when I go to bed tonight. That was not the response I was looking for, Daniel. Um, (laughs) I I realize this is probably more of an X's and O's question, but in your mind, what is Brett's offense not doing to help maximize the spacing? Like, what's the one or maybe two things that you would point to? I mean, just on the basic pick and rolls, like, it, may, it might have been just that one game where I pointed out in my column, but try and keep it simple in terms of pick and rolls. Like a pick and roll does not have to be overly complicated. Like they make it, that's just one part of the offense. And it's really just, I'm going to keep come back to it again. Like they need, maybe not even just like a specific X and O's plays kind of thing, but like they need to get into their offense quicker. They need to be more drive and kick, drive and kick. Like instead of just hold the ball in the perimeter and wait. Especially since teams are, you know, being cowardly and running the two, three zone. (laughs) Yeah. But just, it's like the Sixers sit back and let the defenses gather themselves rather than attacking them. So. Exactly. uh, Set that up in transition before like that zone even gets set set up and you're golden. Like, I don't know what, Oh my God. They just need, they just need to have more purpose to their offense. It just needs to, there needs to be less waiting around for stuff. And if that means you have to put in more set plays, so they just know where to go or, like, I mean, was it the Orlando Magic the other day kept running, running that staggered high double ball screen, and they scored a ton off of it. Like, oh yeah, you never see any of that from the Sixers. They never have any plays like that. Like, the play is like they try and run a high low that only Horford can make the pass, and everyone else turns it over. They like try and throw it into the elbows at times, and basically post up Joel the flare screen for Tobias Harris. But really, that there's not much else in the offense besides that. This is like this is going to be deep, you know, NBA 2K talk because, you know, <laughs> I, I, I play that series a lot. So I've learned mm-hmm. quite a bit about sets and things. But one of my favorite sets that the Sixers actually employed this year and a little bit of last year is the, the horn set mm-hmm. where they have two guys at the elbows and both of yeah. those guys are setting screens. So you kind of pick your poison which way you want to go. It's like, Ben, do you want to use Embiid as a pick and roll and then just use him as the roll man? 
or do you want to pick and pop with Al Horford? Like, I feel like the Sixers should be running all of the horn plays in NBA 2K, just all of them. Uh, I mean, yeah, horns could definitely help. I, it probably would help to have a smaller guard, like, who can duck through spaces better than Simmons, but probably that, like, I mean, the team that loved running high horns was uh, the Lob City Clippers with Chris Paul, DeAndre, and Blake, where it was basically always set the screen. Those two guys kind of one of them setting the screen, the other rolling to the rim as Chris Paul kind of ducks into a little crevice in the defense. So that that kind of works. And also with the Sixers, if they ever did anything like that, I'd probably want Tobias Harrison instead of Al Horford at the screen just because Tobias is more of a threat to shoot off of that. But um, even yeah. in the even if it's just like a mid-range jump shot, which he's actually pretty efficient at. I, I thought Tobias actually mid – it depends on where in the mid-range, like long two range, like outside the paint. Tobias is actually kind of horrible at those shots. But, uh, <laughs> but um, once he's, like, within the 15-foot radius of the basket, like, you know what I'm saying, like, the short mid-range, he's actually he's, – he's really good at that. And even then, if it's just that, like, even if the jump shot is not there, then he can just set up in the post and just post the smaller player <laughs> up if he's got it. Yep. Barring a miracle run to the NBA Finals. I don't know if they necessarily have to win it, but if – if they got there, awesome. Um, but barring a miracle finals run, is Brett I, – I think we have to come to grips with the fact that this is probably Brett's last year, right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't like to put – I just hope the Sixers themselves from, like, their, their front offices and thinking from, like, an ar- arbitrary checkpoint, like, we have to get to the Eastern Conference Finals or we fire him. Like, you shouldn't just be that results-based. Like, Okay, yeah. So if the Sixers moved up to the four-five, played, won their first round series against Heat, played the Bucks in a super tough seven-game series and lost, and we saw tangible improvements in how Brett was coaching the team, like that would mean something to me. That would mean way more than them just I, I you know you know what I'm saying basically like yeah that makes that makes a lot more sense to me because like you I can mean, make, you can go to the NBA Finals and still not have like tangible mm-hmm. offensive or defensive improvement. So like. I, I mean, I, I, I'm probably – I mean, I think they're going to get rid of him unless it's at least the Eastern Conference Finals. I, they're probably thinking that way. But, yeah, I just want to hold it to some arbitrary checkpoint. But it does – like, if he gets – loses in the first round, he might as well just pack compl- – like, start looking for, I don't know, new houses in somewhere because there's yeah, if no he loses in if he loses in, like, five or six and they're just, like, not competitive at all in the four losses, yeah, pack up your stuff, Brett. Sorry. Yeah, good example. Like, if it's like the Bucks Celtics series last year, where the Bucks in those last four games just annihilated the Celtics. If if the Sixers played the Bucks in the second round and lost like that, then yes, that would be a problem. That begs the question: Then, who would most maximize this team's talent? Um, personally, I like Kenny Atkinson, but it has been said in the Liberty Baller Slack as well as like other places that he and Brett Brown kind of run yeah. similar kinds of offenses. So maybe that's not the best idea. Uh, Darvin Ham, Milwaukee's assistant coach, he was a name that was brought up. Or if, you know, if there are other ideas that maybe you could throw that you want to throw out there. So yeah, they're definitely like, I've been the driver of the Darvin Ham train in our, uh, in our slack. Cause I just, he's a Milwaukee assistant coach and under, Mike Budenholzer, like, just a system as good as that would be great to put in place for the Sixers, no matter how you have to adapt it based on personnel. So just, I mean, there's no guarantee he runs that system, but generally people from the Budenholzer and then from their pop, because Budenholzer was on Popovich's staff, and, like, like they've, like, you look at the Memphis Grizzlies this year, they hired away Taylor Jenkins, and he's been great. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Kenny Atkinson, like, one thing I do really like is his defense. The Nets, I think, finished top 10 in defense this year. And they basically, like, anyone who's a, like, even not like, if you're not a 40% three-point shooter, the Nets basically ignore you. They drop, <laughs> su- they drop super far back. They go under so many ball screens because they just want to basically force teams to take jump shots all the time. So, and it worked out pretty well for them. So I kind of, I kind of like that defensive system like based on personnel why are the Sixers only like a point or two better on defense per 100 than the Nets 
I, so. that, that makes no sense to me. That makes zero sense. And so, I say this about this team a lot. This team makes zero sense. <laughs> capital Z, capital E, capital R, capital O, bold underline. No sense this team makes. <laughs> no, but I – and, like, but offensively, it is a little bit of the way we're – his sets are fine. I, I just don't know if Kenny for sure is the guy. So I'd probably – I would probably like Darvin more. But, again, if they hire Kenny Atkinson, I would be upset. And the other big name probably to think about is just – the Sixers assistant coach, Ime Udoka, just because, I mean, it's hard for us as just like, it's not people who aren't within like the NBA front office world to really know a ton about assistant coaches. But it seems like the NBA is a pretty high opinion of Udoka because there are all those reports about the Bulls wanting to like talk to him, showing some interest in him. So and that's obviously now the Nick Nurse model after the Raptors got rid of Dwayne Casey, hired him up, and now two yeah. years later, Nick Nurse is the best coach in the NBA, and it's not even a question. So, I mean, I'll probably never get, you know, my wish, and that would be, you know, Becky Hammond. But, hey, dreamers can dream. I just want to be – I just want to be the a, a fan – and a writer of a team that hires the first female NBA head coach. That's just me and my wild dreams and aspirations. But I mean, again, like we, we tried the, the pop of his tree is very good. And if we continue with Ime, then things will continue. Just, I don't, I don't know if they want to go with yet another person off of pop is off of pop's bench. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, this is this bonus conversation for you guys. Bonus conversation. Bonus I, I, conversation. Overtime, not featured in the article, not planned or anything like that. Daniel asked, Daniel specifically asked to do this today. So if anybody's ears are singed because of the hot takes, blame Daniel. His Twitter will be linked in the description of this podcast <laughs> so you can light him up all you want. This was not my idea. Okay? He and... It's been reported. There's rumors that the Cleveland Cavaliers have they, – they feel that they have a premium package for the trade of one Benjamin Simmons. Um, I'm not buying it. Like, I would need to see the, the package itself. I don't know about you, but for me, it would have to be at least Colin Sexton and a first-round pick just to get the ball rolling. But you don't like Colin Sexton. All right, so I'll just get started. So, like you said, it started from Cleveland.com's Chris Fedor in an article. He, like, it was part of a mailbag question, I think, that some fan wrote in, who should the Cavs be looking for if they want to trade for someone? And he was saying league sources think that the Sixers are going to have to split up one of them, Beat or Simmons, if they lose it. Which, again, just for reference point, the Sixers in 481 career games between – and this is from Jackson Frank, our own Jackson Frank – on Twitter, 481 career games between Embiid and Simmons have a plus 12.6 net rating. Again, no proof that Simmons and Embiid don't still overall work well together. But the everybody always wants to split these guys up. Yeah, I mean that's a whole other podcast. So we'll just move on from that. But whole another podcast. That's like an that's like two hours with the entire Liberty Ballers crew. It is. We need to do that one day. But um, so basically, <laughs> Chris Vador said. The Cavaliers believe like this, and I'm not just not trying to like trash on him because it's, it's. I'm guessing this is what his sources told him. The Cavaliers think that they have a really enticing package for Ben Simmons should that happen. And this, I'll just start here. Colin Sexton is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> terrible. I he so I, this is for something a video I've been working on because this would take a long time to explain. It, it'll come out a lot later. It's not for Liberty Ballers. It's for something else. But basically. Because it was actually the night before this, I was doing some Colin Sexton research. He refuses to pass to anyone. Like, he can, I mean, just like looking at the positives of what he does do, like, he does, he is a pretty good shooter, like, for, over 40% from three, and he can create shots for himself off the dribble, which in theory is really good for the Sixers. That's what we want. But, like, he's the worst passing point guard like ever so just some basic <laughs> stats he's one of only 21 players in the league of over a thousand field goal attempts and basic and 18 of those players are all-stars and the others are like buddy healed and cj mccollum oh my so, word 
So basically it tells you right away where, where Sexton, how good Sexton thinks he is. Like, I think Sexton thinks he's an incredible scorer when he's really not. And what he does not create open shots for himself. He, he, he takes so many shots where he's tightly contested. His defense is absolutely atrocious. See, out of 250, atrocious. Out of 250 eligible players, Colin Sexton finished 250th in 538's defensive Raptor metric, and that put him at 232nd overall, even though his offense was still considered a net plus because his defense was that bad. Like, if part of the Sixers planning this past offseason was to get rid of, like, get rid of defensive liabilities for the most part, Sexton is a, just like, 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 a, I don't know how to say it. Like, he's like, in blaring lights, he has like a giant sign over his head that says, target me because he's that bad <laughs> on defense that he does not understand rotations, ball, gets caught ball watching all the time, is incredibly weak. weak and not to mention, like, we were talking about the Sixers could help if they have more guards who could finish at the rim. He's 43rd percentile amongst guards and finishing at the rim, even if he gets a lot. He got blocked. He had 120 shots blocked this year. Yikes. He, was, he got blocked 120 times. In like 60 games. You know how hard that is to do? <laughs> I feel like you have to actively work to get blocked that much. Because he like, he'll go up for these at-rim attempts. Like, there's a, I put it on my Twitter the other day, so if anyone wants to see it. There, during a Bucks game, 16 seconds on the shot clock, so plenty of time. He drives into Lopez, Middleton, and Giannis. They are all three around him, all hands up. 16 seconds on the shot clock. Tristan Thompson's open on the short roll. There's another shooter spaced out to the wing, another shooter in the corner, all wide open. He takes the shot anyway, just gets absolutely swallowed by Lopez, and it's a dunk the other way. What were you thinking? And he does this all the time. Like, he does not see any passes. I don't have – I think he's around three assists per 100 possessions. Three for 100 possessions. That's it's like so three bad. or four, but it was low. Like and he, and he has the ball all the time in that offense. He never gives it up. I look, at, I look at Sexton and then I and then I'm immediately trying to like draw comparisons like from his offensive game stand uh, standpoint and listen I'm not saying he is this guy but his offensive style reminds me way too much of Kyrie Irving. He he's the he's the eighth grader who thinks he's Kyrie Irving. Yes, exactly. Like, I mean, the best thing he could ever be, and like he's, I don't think he's going to get there, is like a Lou Williams type of just score guy. But even then, like Lou is a better, like difficult shot, shot maker to me. And not to mention, Lou can actually kind of pass on the short rope. Lou short can rope. kind of pass. Lou, can, like, he has that thing with Harold going where basically they just run those pick and rolls and like he's really dangerous out of that. And also, Sexton can light up all these like really bad teams with other crappy guards who aren't going to defend him. Like, I don't know. You could watch like I would love to see a Hornets Cavs game like next year where Devontae Graham and Sexton probably both drop forty five on each other. Oh my god! I, neither one will guard either. But like, okay, so we're so the the general point that we're trying to make here is the hard hard no on Colin Sexton Cavaliers. Were, what what else you got? If they were going to their for their enticing package, because like you said, Sexton would be kind of the piece first. The only trade I would accept from the Cavs probably is. I think Kevin Love for Al Horford straight up might be okay because Love's a better I like shooter. that. Like that I'm okay with. And if we're talking about young prospects, I wouldn't trade for him because I don't think he fits the Sixers, but I'm kind of more interested in Kevin Porter Jr. than I am Colin Sexton, to be honest. I think Porter Jr. actually has a little more shot, difficult shot creation, better size. Kind of I like do feel like more. Kevin Porter Jr. would do a lot. He has a lot more offensive options than Colin Sexton. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Sexton... It just like, I just do not like a guard who controls the ball all the time, does not make his teammates better, does not stop anyone, and his offense is ultimately meaningless because he requires so many possessions to generate those high volume stats. And i.e. Like, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> if if there was, I mean, like to get to even get a, me to like return the call if I'm Elton Brand, they would have to offer me ten unprotected first for the next ten years. For Ben Simmons. Just to make up for all the nonsense that you have to deal with because you have Colin Sexton on your team. Yeah, I, I would – no, it would probably be – yeah, just – I like 47 guards attempted like – of the 47 guards who like hit a certain mark in terms of drives, he was 40th in like pass percentage. Like 
he does not really pass well out of those. And he was one of like the league leaders in shots with like, he take, I think it was, he had a higher percentage of his shots that were classified by NBA.com as like tight or tightly guarded than open. So he takes a lot of guarded shots. Like part of, <laughs> part of being a, part of being a guard, like what makes you good is, you need to be able to create easy shots for yourself when you're not that tall. That's what, what, that's what makes Trey Young so good on offense is that Trey finds a way to create space for himself. It's really impressive, actually. Whereas Sexton does not have enough burst to, like, really separate from people, especially, like, on a step back or something like that. Does not have the vertical athleticism to re- or height to really finish at the rim well. Nor does he have Trey Young's, like, incredible passing manipulation, like, because you're so worried of where Trey could pass it, you kind of have to play him differently. Whereas Sexton, they're like, oh, we know he's not going to find that hole. So we basically do not even have to cover that. So yeah, you just collapse on him and like, that's it. You collapse on him. He takes a bad layup, but you're going down the other way. So, I, I mean, and what's going to make this worse is my dad is a huge Cavaliers fan, but he, does hate, he doesn't like Sexton either. So fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so based on this conversation – um, yeah, I feel like everybody needs to be ready for Colin Sexton, future 76er next year. Cause I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the way we've been talking about it, that's definitely going to happen now. If it does, we should just start writing about a different team. The whole site, the whole site, just change the whole like, thing. I, I, if there I'm was all... a WNBA team in Philadelphia, just like switch it all to them. Oh, just that's fine. And if not, not, not that, like I, I've loved watching the Suns. I wanted Mikhail Bridges to be a Sixers. We could just ask the bright side of the sun if we could all join them. <laughs> like, one monster sun's blog that would be awesome one monster sun blog sun's blog would be fun they're really fun to watch man i have enjoyed the suns i will say i'm like I, kudos to them for putting it together like that am, that starting five of rubio booker bridges cam johnson who we all thought was kind of like yeah i don't know what's going on with this traffic and deandre ayton like they're making it work down there in that bubble yeah, to be fair, I, I kind of liked Cam Johnson just for the Sixers fit-wise. I mean, I thought they overdrafted him, but I, he wasn't bad. And, I mean, I'm actively rooting for a Suns-Pacers final at this point because I, I loved watching both of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you bring up the Pacers, and I have, to, I have to think and remember that the Pacers literally gave up nothing to get T.J. Warren. Like, to be fair, they did, use, me. they did use that money to sign Rubio. So at least you could look at it from a stance for they traded Warren for the money to sign Rubio. It doesn't justify it. Hey, hey, we, like, we, we had money. We had, we had money. We had okay, money yeah, to you're, spend. You're, you're we had cap why, space. Why don't the Sixers have TJ Warren is the question. That's my question. I'm looking at TJ Warren. I'm just like, hey, we could have had this guy. What the heck were you doing over there, Elton? What's going on? You also, sleep at the switch? I mean, we definitely could have had Malcolm Brogdon instead of Al Horford for basically the same money. Oh, my God. Brogdon's shooting, and, like, Brogdon would help a lot. All right. I, I, I feel like we need to end it there because the, probably- the more <laughs> we talk about players that we could have had by spending the Al Horford money is just going to make me more and more frustrated. And, like, I still have to edit this podcast, and yeah. I don't want to do it angry. <laughs> All right. It sounds good then. <laughs> uh, talked a little bit about this, the spacing. We got some Colin Sexton talking here. Talked about the Suns. Like, this was a really fun podcast, Dan. I appreciate this. Oh, uh, thank you. Dan Olinger, you can follow him on Liberty Ballers, at Liberty Ballers, and all of his. Um, yeah, Dan, tell, tell the people how to follow you on Twitter. All right, my Twitter's at Dan underscore Olinger. Uh, yeah, I'm always posting NBA clips out there. If you want to read, if for, if for some reason, if there are any of you who are also Northwestern sports fans, I write about them on Inside and You, the SB Nation blog for them. So just a, another little self plug there. And yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Self plugging is always fine. Like everybody's everybody's on that grind, so you know it's yeah. fine. <laughs> everybody's on that grind. Appreciate you coming on, Dan, and. Uh, look for more stuff for you on liberty ballers and on your twitter like dan definitely subscribes to the like jackson frank version of tweeting where he's just posting clips all over the place and i enjoy (laughs) it so much (laughs) thanks take care dan thanks for coming on all right you too
Businesses have always needed customers. So customer engagement has always been a thing. You know, steak dinners, golf, in-person handshakes. Not exactly efficient, though. But thanks to ZoomInfo, times have changed. Now you can engage with the right customers across all channels and grow your business. Efficiently and effectively, all from one platform. Sorry, steak dinner guy. We've got work to do. Unlock insights. Engage customers. Win faster at ZoomInfo.com. ZoomInfo. How business goes to market.